Hi, welcome back. Today I want to talk about something that I think a lot of us struggle with from time to time, or at least I know that I do, and that's how do you dive in when you're angry, and specifically if you're angry at God. Um, as always, just a quick disclaimer that I'm not a halachic authority of any kind, so please ask your shilas to someone who is qualified to answer. All right, so first, davening can be a challenge for a bunch of reasons, and not just for emotional reasons. For starters, saying the same words every day from a sitter can make it feel very routine, even if you do put that into the words. Um, when I was in seminary, we learned that there's two different kinds of kavana. One is knowing who you're talking to, and one is knowing what you're saying. So even if you're saying the words every single day and you're thinking who you're talking to and what the words mean, it can still be hard to feel like you're connecting um, just because you're doing it every day. Again, I'm speaking for myself, but honestly, as a mom of three little kids right now, my davening doesn't usually take the form of quietly praying from a sitter. I'm more talking my own words or doing it in a sing-song way with my kids, but for people who do daven from a sitter every day or three times a day, it's extra easy to slip into saying everything by rote. And aside from that, we can't see Hashem, and we also... You know, we can't hear him talking back to us or have any other obvious, tangible, in-your-face experience of him being there, um, like how it is when we talk to other people. So automatically, that makes it harder to connect. Um, and that's even on a perfectly good day when things are going well, or when we're in a rough spot and we need Hashem's help, but it's hard to feel like he's really there. Sometimes it's also easier to feel the closeness at sometimes than other times, and the passion and feelings of connection can come and go. When I was younger, I was extremely private about anything that had to do with spirituality, and I didn't talk about it to anyone. So I kind of assumed that I was the only wildly inconsistent person out there who was all hot and cold about davening. But obviously that's not true, which I found out when I started being more open about these subjects. And honestly, that's a big part of why I want to keep talking about it openly, is because even though our private davening is between us and Hashem, there's still a lot to gain in the process by learning from each other. Okay, so davening when you're angry. It's hard. And, you know, thank God I've had a very blessed life so far. And I hope it'll always continue like that, please God. But even so, I've been through some very hard things also. And some of them shook me up for a really long time. I bottomed out with my eating disorder in seminary, for example. And I ended up feeling very distant and cold to anything related to spiritual growth or learning or religion as a whole in general. Um, for a few years after that, I went through some things where I felt like, wait, that wasn't supposed to happen. That wasn't the plan because obviously, you know, it wasn't my plan, even though Hashem had his reasons, I'm sure, you know, so the seminary was one of those because I set out to have everything go perfectly. And I was working really, really hard to make myself into the person I thought I was supposed to be. And everything just like, like the floor fell out. Um, another time when I was already well into being a grown-up was when I was postpartum after having my twins. I had been very careful not to relapse into my eating disorder. I was careful actually for more than a decade. Um, I was going on 11 years of recovery at this point. I was also careful about keeping my bipolar in the remission phase. I would always get help immediately when I felt things shifting a little too high or too low. And when I found out that I was having twins, I actually went back to therapy once a week, every week, which I hadn't needed for a while at that point. And I went with the sole reason being to have a professional therapist keeping tabs on things since giving birth in general is hard. And with twins, I knew there was going to be an extra risk of postpartum mental illness and of eating disorder thoughts coming up and being triggered by losing so much weight after having the twins. 
Um, just side point, my twins themselves were almost 15 pounds combined when I had them. So, I mean, I knew by definition that this was going to be a very risky situation for my mental health. And I took the right steps that I was supposed to take. And I went diligently almost my whole pregnancy. I was very, very sick in that pregnancy. And the therapy wasn't so much about actual therapy taking place, but I needed someone to know my baseline so that they could recognize any red flags that would come up after I gave birth. So it was a precaution based on how bad things had gotten the first time I had a baby and had postpartum. But I didn't always notice the signs in myself. And so I knew that since there was a risk going into this, I know there's a known possibility that I could get into some dangerous territory. So I was playing it safe. And then as the pregnancy went on, I got I got sicker to the point where I wasn't able to even make it to therapy anymore. Um, I wasn't really able to move around much at all, and breathing was very, very hard for me. I actually couldn't talk more than absolutely necessary because I would get so out of breath to the point of feeling like I was literally suffocating. The doctors didn't really know what was going on with that. My husband told me it looked like I was having like a nine-month-long asthma attack, but it wasn't really anything we could do about it at that point, so I just stayed in bed for the most part. Fine. Um, so then came the big day. The babies came in grand emergency C-section style, and I felt so much better, thank God. Um, and then came some more medical drama. The twins were in the NICU until they were almost a month old. And then a week later, we were back in the hospital. And, you know, Baruch Hashem, we all made it, and I was flying high, seriously high. Um, all that chaos meant that I still hadn't gotten back to therapy, though. And by the time that I did go, she took one look at me and she knew that I was manic. And I was also struggling with eating disorder again. And a lot of the, the familiar mile markers along the way were popping up that I, I hadn't even thought about in years. You know, things like, you know, I don't want to eat this now because even though I'm feeling okay about it now, I might feel worse about it later and then have to undo my progress. Like all these things that I hadn't even thought about since I had been sick with the eating disorder like 10 years prior. It's all kind of rushing back to me and... I was really, really upset about this. Um, you know, I felt like, you know, I was like, I'm doing all the right things. Why, why is this happening? I took the right steps. Meanwhile, I'd been denying that anything was wrong to my husband and friends and hospital staff and, and any other person who asked me if I was okay. Everything, every time they would ask, I'm great. Everything's wonderful. All, you know, Baruch Hashem, all these wonderful miracles happening. And it was true. And I really did believe that. Um, but I was also starting to have these emotional breakdowns and, I was rapid fire up and down and story, stormy emotion and nonstop talking and my mind was losing chunks of time. I was having these blackouts and I was forgetting my way around the hospital even though I was there every day. Just, my mind was not working very well anymore at that point. And all sorts of strange things were starting to happen. And I kept telling myself and everybody else, like, it's really, it's fine. You know, this happens. Now I'm just tired. I have new babies and a husband who doesn't understand me and then some friends who don't understand me and then more and more and more people who don't understand me. And eventually, of course, I got myself back to therapy and trying to figure out if things were slipping. And unfortunately, by then they weren't just slipping. I was as deep into the crazy as I'd ever been in my life. Um, and that devastated me because I had, like I said, I did the right things. I planned everything fell apart despite all of my best efforts. And still, I was high on life, or so I thought. My mood was mainly euphoric, but it was also getting increasingly more agitated, and I was getting angry a lot and snapping at people. I was trying to keep to myself because I knew, like, you know, I'm not myself. I don't, I don't want this to be my reputation. And so that, you know, the isolation kind of made it worse, and I'm feeling already alone. And then I wasn't sleeping. My thoughts were racing, and I was still talking a mile a minute. And then 
one Friday night dinner, my husband said something about how maybe the pain that we went through during the pregnancy and the twins' time in the NICU was a kapara. And I lost it. I plunged so deep into despair that, I mean, honestly, from the outside, it probably didn't make much sense. My husband probably had no idea what, like, what did I say? What, what, what happened? I'll, I'll back it up. But, I mean, at that point, we were so far past the point of anything needing to make sense in order for it to be happening anyway. So I went from la, 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 Hashem loves me and I love Hashem to I hate everyone and everything. And I actually wrote this next line in an email to a rabbi. My soul is dead and it's only a matter of time until the rest of me is too. Um, and I was really, really, um, this this was a very, very low part in my life. And... It was very hard because there was so much conflicting emotion and conflicting experience. On the one hand, all the miracles, you know, the baby's home from the NICU, everything's good. And then on the other hand, I'm more mentally ill than I've probably ever been in my life. Um, and actually, I want to read part of my book that deals with this concept of davening when you're angry. Because at this point, I was feeling like, well, I am the worst person on the planet. There is no redeeming quality in me at all. And I'm mad. I am just absolutely, like, raging. And I, I don't want to daven because... You know, I was so angry that I'm like, even even if there's a God to hear me, like, there's no one I even want to be hear, heard by. Like, there's nothing, I just felt like there's nothing good in me. There's nothing good in the world. I was so angry and so down and out. Um, so I want to read you this excerpt. I'm utterly beside myself. It's minutes after Shabbos, and I'm alone, locked in my car, parked outside a local convenience store in a ferocious snowstorm. My body is rigid. I'm shaking. I don't dare to move. I don't dare to speak. My mind is frantic. How could this be? Everything was perfect. How could this happen? How could everything come crashing so fast? How could anything crash at all? How ungrateful can one person be? I experienced miracle after miracle. How could I throw it all away like this? What's wrong with me? I deserve nothing. Nothing. Until this Shabbos, I was actually very happy. I was very grateful, and I had literally never been happier or more content in my entire life. Then Svi made one comment, and everything went wrong. It's all gone. The happiness and light are all gone. Stomped out and flushed down the toilet. Last night at Friday night dinner, I sat with Svi, gushing about my love for Hashem and the tremendous miracles we just experienced and how wonderful our lives are, how extraordinarily blessed we are. And then Svi mentioned that perhaps there was an element of kapara in our situation. What? He went on to explain his reasoning. Hashem could have made all these miracles happen in a painless way. He didn't have to make it that we suffered like we did. I stopped eating. What was he saying? I stared him down. You take that back, I solemnly warned him. What? I'm just saying what I think. Take it back. Take it back now. Okay, okay, I take it back. Relax. It was too late, though. He'd already said it, and I didn't believe him that he took it back. He was just saying that to calm me down. I didn't believe him. I was distraught, beside myself, and I couldn't let it go. Why would Hashem want me to suffer? Why? I couldn't believe such a thing. I never, ever, never once saw our situation that way. How could this be? Could Sfi be right? Could Hashem have been making all the miracles painful as a kapara? Why would he make me suffer? Why would he make anyone suffer? I love him so much. Doesn't he love me too? It's like I don't know Hashem at all. How could it be that Hashem wants me to feel pain? I used to believe that he loved me, but maybe it turns out he can only tolerate me when I'm in pain, heartbroken, and suffering. That's what he wants? Is my entire purpose just to serve an example to other people of how not to be? My very existence, everything I do and say and think, everything I am brings destruction and hurt. Hashem should just destroy me already. There's no place for me in this world, and there's no place for me in Olam Haba either. It's time for me to stop being sad about that too. Who cares? It's not like it was meant for me anyway. I always knew I was bad. Being sad about not belonging in Olam Haba is like being sad that someone else got a present on their own birthday. It's their birthday and their present. 
It was never mine. I'm just watching from the sidelines. All my life, I wanted Hashem to hold me. Why would I even want such a thing? I don't want anyone to hold me. No one. Do I think Hashem holding me would heal me? I used to think so. But now I remember that in Olam Haba, we continue to be who we made ourselves to be in this world. There are no improvements in the next world, just an eternity of what we built here. I didn't build anything, just accumulated a pile of sewer sludge. Hashem will not hold me in the next world. He won't even come near me at all. He certainly won't heal me. Those things are the grand prize, and I'm not even in the contest. It would be kinder if I was destroyed entirely. If an ant is dying, squiggling on the sidewalk, we kill it so it doesn't suffer. But I don't think Hashem destroys people, and if he ends my life here, then I'll just continue to suffer in Olam Haba. I'll be tossed aside, damaged and broken on the outskirts of Shemaim. Far from Hashem, no more ability to connect. All chances lost forever. In the one instant that it took Tzvi to make that comment, I fell a thousand miles. I didn't hit the ground, though. I just kept falling. And I'm still falling, falling, falling. There's no bottom to this pit of despair. Endless pain. Endless grief. I trust no one. Not people and not Hashem. No one. I am alone. Utterly, devastatingly alone. And here I am, hiding in my car like a child throwing a tantrum. I know what it looks like, and I know what it is. I know I'm hurting people. I hurt everyone around me. It's just what I do. I'm a bad person. I've known it all my life. I'm a bad person. An instrument of pain and destruction. I never should have been born. I've known it all my life. I always knew I would grow up to be evil, and here I am. It came true. I can't bear to see anyone, can't speak to anyone, and I certainly can't bear to Davin. Tzvi assures me it was a misunderstanding, that he momentarily forgot he was talking to his wife and not a fellow yeshiva guy. But I can't reconcile such an idea with my glorious experience of the events of the past year. I feel morally bankrupt. How could I let one comment shatter my faith? I thought I trusted Hashem. I thought I believed in him and trusted him with my life. Ha! My amuna and bitachon are minuscule. Perhaps they were all along. And my shocking ingratitude. How could it be that after all of these miracles and answered tefillas that I dumped my inspiration in an instant? What does that say about me? Nothing good, that's for sure. I hate myself. Even if I could daven, I wouldn't. I have nothing of value to say. Nothing. And coming from me, prayers are useless. An insult to Hashem. All that's inside me is bad, evil, self-deceptive, delusional. That's what I am. I think of the story of Yishmael, how Hashem judged him as he was in that moment. A moment when he was good and he hadn't yet done the terrible things he would do later on. I bet I know what that means for me and I'm heartbroken. Hashem will judge me as I am now. In my agonizing misery, I think about my life. All my striving to improve and to grow, all my love for Hashem, all the mitzvahs and kindness I ever tried to do, all my sincere tefillahs, they all mean nothing now. And why? Because this is who I am now. In this moment, I'm evil, and I'm surely being judged as such. How cruel. Do my previous attempts to come close to him really mean nothing? Malicious, brutal, cruel. I thought he was merciful. I thought he was loving. I don't know him at all. My soul screams in pain and in bitter, bitter despair. I refuse to daven, flat out refuse. How can I daven when there's no one to hear? When I don't even want to be heard? Hashem doesn't want me anyway. I have nothing good to say. I have only hatred. Postpartum again. I let this happen again. I fooled myself into thinking it's a good thing, that it makes me special, that somehow this illness is a blessing, something to channel. What a fool I am. This will be the end of me. It's far bigger than I will ever be, and I let it become what it is. I am an ignorant, evil fool. Rage and bitterness flood my broken heart. There's nothing good in me. I hate myself and I hate God. Um, God spelled lowercase g-o-d. In moments like this, he is not Hashem to me. He can't be. Hashem is a name of warmth and love and endearment. There's nothing endearing inside of me now. Still, deep inside, deep in a place I don't dare seek out right now, I know that I have it wrong and my heart is confused. I know that the real Hashem is merciful and kind. I know that he sees past my terrible pain and I know that he understands. 
even though I don't. Deep inside, I still believe that Hashem is kind and Hashem is loving. I believe that he loves me, even though right now I don't feel it, and even though right now I can't love him. Out of respect and desire to protect him from my anger, I attack God instead, lowercase g-o-d. I attack my misconception and my lack of faith. I keep Hashem himself away from my rage. I hope that means something to him. It's all I have to offer right now. It's the only form of respect I'm able to show in this moment. I hope Hashem will accept it and treat me kindly for it. I hold myself and refuse to pray. Tears well up at my eyes, but I don't allow myself to cry. In my fragile state, I'd rather bleed than cry, and I don't know what I'll do if I cry. I'm in grave danger. I pull out my phone and see 12 missed calls from Tzvi. Wonderful. I close the notifications and open my internet browser. I search out every Jewish helpline in the country. I call them all. It's still only minutes after Shabbos and nobody answers. Wonderful. What do you want, God? What can you possibly want? I choose a focal point on the side of my car and stare intently. I don't break my focus. I remain completely still. I do not move. I do not speak. I do not cry. I hate you. I rail against the lowercase God with all my strength. I wordlessly spew forth vile hatred. I log onto Facebook, frantically seeking out someone to call. On my list of friends online, I see Rabbi Michal Shapiro, the Chabad rabbi who guided me as a teenager and stood by my side for years. I haven't spoken with him much in the past several years, but back then he taught me valuable lessons about Hashem. It's time for part two. I send him a message. Hi. Please answer. Shavuot Tov, he replies. Immediately, I launch into a tirade against God. I express the bitterness in my heart and how I hate myself and hate the world and I don't know what to do with myself. I can't move. I can't speak. Davin, he tells me. Clearly, he does not understand. I try again to explain the dire nature of my situation and the futility of prayer. I can't Davin, I write. I hate God. Okay, he says. So what? Go ahead and hate him. He can handle it. He just wants a relationship with you. I have nothing nice to say. Nothing at all. Davin anyway. All I have to say is how much I hate God. Unbelievable. How can I make him get it? So tell Hashem you hate him. He's big enough to handle it. Rabbi Shapiro goes on to explain that our relationship with Hashem is a real relationship. Sometimes in relationships, there are hard feelings. He tells me the worst thing I can do isn't expressing anger. It's walking away. Davin, he says again. I put down my phone and in a harsh whisper, I tell Hashem, I hate, hate, hate you. Then I stop. I have to stop before I cry. I'm overcome with frustration and bitterness. I stop speaking. But unexpectedly, my feel it doesn't end. My heart continues where my voice left off. Hashem, I hate you, but please don't hate me. I need you now more than I ever needed you in my life. I'm so lost, I can't even cry, and I don't know how that happened. Please hold me close and keep me safe so I can cry. I wish with every part of me that I could run into your arms and feel your love and be protected. Please keep me safe with you, and please stay with me and never, ever leave. Please, I can't do this alone. It's the truth in my heart, and I hope that Hashem listens with understanding and mercy. I'm not ready yet to delve any deeper, but the catharsis of my feel is a turning point. I can feel it. I recognize that I'm struggling with postpartum mental illness again. Tomorrow will be a better day. I resolve to see to it. I mentally strategize. I'll call a close friend, my friend who always tells me the truth and all its obnoxious glory. I'll ask her to help me make a plan. I call Tzvi has called me three more times and sent another five text messages by now. I tell him I'm on my way home. I drive out of the convenience store parking lot and make my way home. Even in my destructive state, my husband greets me warmly as only a tzaddik can. I made your bed, he said. There's a bag of chocolate waiting for you on the night table. I smile weakly. I've been terrible to him these past several weeks, but he's endlessly kind to me. He stands by me. Since the beginning of our marriage, I've been convinced that Svi is the greatest answered tefillah of my entire life. And if Tzvi, a tzaddik, but still very human, is so patient and loyal and kind, how much more so is Hashem?
The next morning, I call my friend and we speak for hours. She listens patiently and helps me plan several steps to recover my mental and emotional health. I write it down. I'll call my psychiatrist and make an appointment to adjust my medication. I'll call my therapist and request more frequent appointments until this episode subsides. I'll attend local mental health support groups. I'll go back to the basics with meal planning and taking care of my eating and sleeping routines in order to minimize the risk of an eating disorder relapse. I'll continue davening and reaching out to mentors who can guide me spiritually and emotionally. And I'll simultaneously do everything I can to subvert this episode with therapy and medication. It probably won't be an easy plan to follow, but I know that I can do it. I feel strong enough now. This past Shabbos and Matzei Shabbos were the hardest parts of my whole ordeal, including the pregnancy, including the C-section, including the NICU and Nate and postpartum and all the other obstacles and adjustments. Why? Because I felt alone, that's why. I was at war with Hashem. I handled so much with relative peace of mind when I felt Hashem was with me. I wasn't alone then. I wasn't alone this past Shabbos either, but I didn't realize it. I shut Hashem out of my life. I was miserable and despondent. I didn't allow him to help me. I didn't allow him to comfort me. And because of that, even the smallest battles felt insurmountable. It's never about the battle itself. It's about who's on your team. Okay, so there's a few things actually I want to point out about that excerpt. The first, of course, is the relationship aspect, that our relationship with Hashem being a real relationship is a huge thing that helps me keep that perspective. You know, Hashem isn't our coworker or boss who we just visit at Shul. He's everywhere all the time. And I don't know about you, but I, for one, am not on all the time. It's impossible to be on your best behavior at every second. You can fake being happy and cordial once in a while if you need to, or with certain people or certain situations, but it's not something that you can keep up 24-7, and it's not something that you can keep up when you're alone. And that's kind of the point, is that you're never alone, because Hashem is always there. He's always with you, and he always sees you, and he always sees all of you. So even if you are you know, pretending on the outside, Hashem still sees how you are on the inside. And that's been a very comforting thought to me. Um, second, looking back on it now, I think that there's real beauty in the way that I handled the part about the lowercase God, you know, the points that I pointed out, you know, the I hate God, lowercase G-O-D, um, because even though I didn't see it at the time, that was my innate instinctive way of acknowledging that there is that relationship. Even then, even during all of that pain, when I'm pushing away the relationship, that it's still there. It's something that's very deeply ingrained in me. And I think in all of us, it's something, you know, they say there's no atheist in a foxhole. And I think that it goes, you know, way beyond just literal foxholes and literal life or death situations or, you know, big crises. We're all hardwired to believe and to try to connect to Hashem. We're like wireless devices continually searching for Wi-Fi. I'm a millennial, yes, but it's not a bad muscle, I don't think. Here's my main go-to way of thinking about it. And this is what helps me when I'm feeling especially down and out. Imagine that someone could see your side, whatever's going on. Imagine somebody could see your side, even if you're wrong, even if you feel bad about it, even if you feel trapped by whatever's going on. And even if it's your fault, you know, even if it's something really, really bad and you're really, really in trouble. Okay. But think about your side. You're hurting, you're in pain, you're sorry, whatever it is. And you want to fix things, but you're also maybe a victim too. And you've been hurt. And you're confused, you're frustrated, whatever it is. Imagine someone rushing to your side to help you. Someone who is on your team, who can see you, who can see beyond the situation and the pain and the hurt and whatever whatever it is. Whatever you did, whatever anybody did to you. And that someone is someone who loves you and supports you. 
and imagine what they would say, how they'd react, how they would show you their love and support. You know, think, what do you need to hear in that moment that would soothe your soul? And then remember that that someone is Hashem and that he's always there, even when we're in the most horrible, lowest time in our life. And even if we're in the wrong, and even if we're angry and lashing out at him, he's still there. And it's not always easy to think like that, but it does get easier the more that you do it. Um, personally, I went from being able to think like that maybe once in a while to now it's almost most times that I get upset I could think like that. Although, to be totally honest, sometimes I'm still too stubborn to actually do anything about it, but that muscle does get stronger and stronger the more that you practice using it. So that's what I have today. Um, you know, basically we should always keep davening, even when our prayers are not pretty, even when we feel angry and hateful, and even when we're seething with a venomous rage, like in that excerpt that I read. You know, the world's a tough place, and life isn't easy, I don't think, for anybody. And, you know, who knows about the hardships of the world more than anyone? Hashem does, because he made it that way, and I have no idea what his plan is, but I do believe that he cares about us all, and that he's there for us. You know, we're safe with Hashem, and we should let him in, because davening can only help. I hope you have a great day, and I hope to see you next time.